Welcome to this episode of Specialty Lenses Unplugged, where the goal is to see the specialty contact lens field thrive and grow for patients, for their families, for eye care providers, and for those companies that develop and fabricate the lenses, devices, and other products that make it all happen. Each of our episodes features guests where we get to learn about their area of expertise, as well as to get them know better by delving into their professional lives. I'm Craig Norman, and as your host, I get the distinct pleasure of bringing to you insights from world authorities in the contact lens field. Dr. Mile Bruchek graduated from the New England College of Optometry in 2002. He practices full scope optometry with an emphasis on ocular disease management of the anterior segment, contact lenses, and glaucoma. Dr. Bruchek is on the editorial board for a number of optometric publications and has published over 200 articles and given over 1,000 lectures, both nationally and around the globe, on many different topics in eye care. He's a member of the American uh, Optometric Association and the American Academy of Optometry. Welcome to Specialty Lenses Unplugged, Melee. How are you today? Yeah, thanks, Craig. Great. Thanks for having us here. Okay, this is great. I'd like to introduce our second guest, which is Dr. Dave Kading. Uh, Dr. Kading's practice focuses on the improvement of visual complications and enhancing the ocular surface. He owns and operates the Specialty Dry Eye and Contact Lens Center, a multi-location referral-based practice in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Kading conducts significant clinical research within his practice and has written over 100 articles and papers and given hundreds of lectures internationally. His specialized training comes from the Pacific University, where he completed his residency. And in his practice, he now welcomes students from five different optometry programs and has a dry eye and contact lens residency program within his clinic. Welcome to the Specialty Lenses Unplugged. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing great, Craig. Thank you so much. I uh, have to comment that um, I need to change my bio to say 201 written articles so that I can beat Mila's. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And uh, uh, that even just mentioning more than 200 would beat him for sure. We wouldn't have to change it for a while. Hey, guys, this is really wonderful for you to take times out of your incredibly busy schedules to uh, chat with us today. I know the audience of Specialty Lenses Unplugged will be very interested in hearing a little more about you guys, even though I think that you are two of the more prominent optometrists in our field, it's seemingly you guys are everywhere, uh, not just speaking, but uh, in publications uh, and the stuff that you have done with students through the years, uh, that you really are doing a, a lot of uh, very interesting things. And along those lines, I would like to start with you, Dave Kading, and say, can you tell us how did you get to this point where you are today? Where did you grow up? How did you end up at Pacific and then ultimately uh, in the Seattle area? Yeah, so I think as all of us, it's uh, it's an evolution of sorts. I, uh, I, I grew up in South Dakota and uh, attended the South Dakota State University. And along the way, I was intending to go into medicine and thought that would be the route. And as things evolved, uh, optometry kind of came up and the, the, the great family life that optometry has in addition to the medical and visual aspects really started to uh, entice me. And I looked at different optometry schools and in my junior year, I applied to one school thinking I wasn't going to get in anywhere and I would apply later on in my senior year. Um, and I ended up getting in a little bit early and, uh, and so Pacific accepted me um, and I, I actually didn't graduate graduate from undergrad, but went right into optometry school. And uh, fast forward a couple of years, went on a eye care mission trip with the current contact lens resident at Pacific and just started getting to chat about contact lenses. The next year I had my contact lens course and just fell in love with contact lenses. And I knew that I wanted to apply to a residency and I did my residency and uh, wanted to stay on at the, uh, at the university because I loved teaching, I loved research, I loved interacting with students, and, uh, and then I loved seeing specialty patients. 
and was disappointed when I went into practice. Uh, but after about two or three years in practice, I was doing research. I was traveling the country, lecturing. I was interacting with students and was see- already building a specialty practice. And uh, uh, in, in two years after graduation, my wife and I purchased our first location. We now have three. Um, and we, we turned the practice into our own specialties. She b- does binocular vision and pediatrics, and I do contact lenses and dry eye. And uh, we just started growing our practice into the specialties that it's become. And um, we just, we, I always tell my residents and students that we don't exist to only help the patients that walk in our doors. But if we know something, we need to share that information with other practitioners so that we can impact their patients as well. And so that's been the impetus to do research and to travel the country and the world lecturing about the things that we've learned in practice. So that's that's kind of a brief way of, of where we got today. Yeah. Well, you sure have been able to accomplish that all. And what's so interesting, if you would have actually stayed at the university, you would have had probably impact over one group of students. But in fact, what you and Melee are doing uh, is having impact on hundreds, if not thousands of students every year. So it's probably everything bent exactly in the direction uh, that it should. Yeah. Couldn't be happier. Yep. Melee Bruschek, what about you? Tell us your story. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from Windsor, Ontario, right across the river from Detroit, Michigan in Canada. I went there for undergrad, and then in 1998, I went to the New England College of Optometry for optometry school. Um, Very shortly after I got there, I realized that I wanted to practice in the U.S., Um, just the scope and the ability to care for patients with the amount of education that we had was, was just really present. And then in 2002, uh, my wife and I, Sonia, we, we knew we wanted to be closer to family, targeted Northwest Ohio, which is where I, I practice today and have practiced there since graduation. And um, during that time, it's been interesting. I realized that I was passionate about education and, and educating others um, very, very quickly out of optometry school or out of optometry school and into practice. Started um, working with paraoptometrics and uh, optician groups initially, and then um, that eventually evolved into students and uh, practitioners as well, too. I met Dave, it was back about 2006, and we we both um, love partnerships with industry. We think that um, some of the best innovations come from our partnerships with industry. And they actually um, set up a dinner where the two of us were really the only two guests there, and it was intended for us to really get to know each other and, and to meet each other. I remember that uh, they were they were telling me that there's kind of a guy like you on the West Coast that's doing a lot of the stuff that you're doing right now and has similar interests and passions and contact lenses and the ocular surface. And then Dave and I have started working together since since that time. And, and really a lot of things that we do together is the impetus of our passions and, and how they kind of continue to cross paths. So 17 years after graduation, Craig, um, I'm a part owner of a three location optometric practice in Northwest Ohio. And we, we, do, we do a lot. Um, we have six practitioners and really my area of emphasis, like you mentioned earlier, is the anterior segment and a lot of specialty lenses. That's really quite interesting. And Mila, could you continue along that vein? How do you, how do you balance the patient care uh, with the travel schedule? Yeah, so um, we've always been um, a practice that has embraced um, the highest level of licensure that um, both the optometrists and um, ancillary individuals in the practice have. So we've always promoted and wanted licensed practitioners in our practice. Opticians, we, we always encourage licensure, paraoptometrics, we always encourage um, certification for them, and we promote education from within. So what that does is when I'm in the office, it makes me hopefully more efficient so that I can see patients um, in an efficient manner, but without ever sacrificing quality care. And we just have a great network here within the office that helps support that, Craig. So um, I'm fortunate that I have a supportive um, office structure to help nurture that. And I'm also thankful that I have a supportive uh, family structure that helps support that as well, too. Yeah. Dave, I'd like to uh, ask you that same question. I mean, you have family and 
family and a partner and along with uh, kids. How, how do you make that balance work? Yeah, well, it's um, it's become more challenging, obviously. Mila and I look back at that 2006, 2007 years. Uh, we didn't have children at the time. We were both married, and we both have extremely supportive spouses, which plays a huge part in the ability for us to travel the way that we do. I think the first part of this is credit to our spouses and them allowing us uh, or partnering with us in knowing our passions and what we stand for. And uh, both Mila and I's wives uh, really um, see uh, where our passion lies and partner with us to be able to to be able to leave home and go out and do that. As a practitioner, I, my wife and I, we own the three locations that we're in, so we've had to potentially take a you know a little bit of a financial hit when I do travel because it it may be more beneficial financially to stay at the house and 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 work at the practice, but um, it's not what we're passionate about uh, is just seeing patients, and so we've we've worked to find additional doctors to be able to fill in. And my my team and my patients are also supportive of of us traveling. Uh, I have three daughters, and so where I might travel and stay an ad additional uh, half a day at a meeting, um, that's not the case anymore. I I basically fly in as late as I can for a speaking engagement, and generally will try to leave as early as I can uh, after my speaking time is up um, if I, if I am traveling. Uh, but then there's there's other times where we we do bulk travel, and that's something you know I, I just booked a, a four day trip, uh, three different cities, five different speaking gigs, and uh, you know that'll encompass a lot of my speaking for that month. And uh, doing that's a little bit easier on the family than uh, being gone um, consistently two days every single week. So we, we've just tried, you know, both Mila and I have tried to find what works for our practice, works for our spouse, what works for our kids. And, you know, it's never perfect. There's always an imbalance. And we just try to swing the pendulum so that we try to stay in the middle as best as we can. Sure. And truly, Craig, Christy, Christy loves when Dave's out of the house. It keeps him out of her hair, out of her hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm guessing that in Dave's situation, there will be times when four women will be glad when he's out of the house. Yeah. And, and maybe the alteration of the uh, schedule will come from yeah. them. I don't uh, know. Maybe in the future I'll be traveling more because they want me gone. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so if, uh, Amelia, I'd like to ask you a question, and Dave, I'm going to ask you the same thing then also, is that when uh, I was at the stage of my life where I was doing similar things to you, uh, with or to what you guys are doing, and was traveling quite a bit, I found that the patients in the practice, uh, very few of them were disgruntled that I was gone. And the fact that they thought it was very cool that I was doing these other things and that their contact lens person, you know, had this level of expertise and they actually felt felt quite proud that uh, they could relate to that and would ask me all the time about my travels. Have you found that to be the same? Yeah, it, it is interesting, Craig. So. I was just doing some interviews earlier today for um, an employee spot in our Bowling Green office, and I was sharing with her, I say, you know, we really do a lot of research here. We're, we're the first to have certain technologies in our office. So regardless of what your experience was before this, um, it's we're, we're constantly changing and evolving our practice so that we're contemporary and as current as possible. And that same kind of passion resides even too when we communicate with, with our patients as well. Um, some patients kind of know when I travel and, and why I do that. And I, I think they're always respectful for that. But we always share with them that the relationships that we have and the things that we do, we always take that knowledge and we bring it back so that we can care for them better. I, I think, Craig, that really um, the speaking and the relationships with industry and the research, all of that, um, I don't view it as independent of the practice. I think I'm like you in that I view it as kind of this beneficial add-on to the practice where the mm -hmm. patients that we're caring for get first access to a lot of the technologies. So I, I think the patients really appreciate that aspect of it. 
Yeah, and and for sure, you can't help but be learning when you're rubbing shoulders with other experts within the field uh, during your travels at the same time. For sure, that totally automatically is brought back to the practice. Totally and agree. Dave, Dave, what about yourself? I mean, what do the patients think when you're gone so much? Yeah, um, uh, agreed with what Mila said. They appreciate it. They, you know, we wouldn't be the technological uh, practice that we are without the speaking. And so they identify that right up front. Um, but because we're trying things out, we're doing research on things that's largely come from the industry partnerships that we have that they recognize that, you know, we're, we're, we're doing research. And so they want to bring in that. Um, and, you know, the patients do appreciate the fact and, 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 you know, they're a little more accommodating uh, than if I was on, you know, the, the golf course every day uh, or a couple of days a week um, that I'm out educating other people and sharing and you know every once in a while i'll let a patient know hey we used you as a case example of course we changed your name we didn't include any information but you were really helpful and i had other people come up and share how much they learned from the situation that we we accomplished with with your eyes in your case and uh likewise i I would not be the practitioner that I am, as you already stated. I would not be um, nearly as innovative as I am if I wasn't rubbing shoulders with like-minded, extremely intelligent, hardworking practitioners that come to the lecture, share things that they've learned. Um, they ask questions afterwards that get thoughts provoked that I hadn't thought of. And also the people that were lecturing besides uh, beside those people really bring up some, you know, really interesting things. And I think that's the great thing about our profession is we're so collaborative that we're always looking for additional ways to be innovative. And I think the contact lens world particularly stands apart in our way that, that we're willing to use technology in new ways. We're u willing to use a material, a design. Um, you know, you think about orthokeratology as an example. I mean, that's just odd that we just discovered that all of a sudden we could flatten the cornea and that would be beneficial. I mean, think about just the guy that first thought of that and incorporated it in to the way that he did practice and then shared it with everybody and, and where we are today. So it's made me a better practitioner being on the road and our patients definitely benefit from it. Sure. That that first guy, of course, was somebody who had yeah. inadvertently fit a PMMA lens yeah. three diopters flatter than K. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the patient came in without their lenses on yeah. and was seen terrific. And that, that was that person's aha moment <laughs> yeah exactly yeah so um, Milate, you know i know that you're involved in research also and and being able to work ahead of the curve do you have somebody in your office that is designated as the clinical monitor or clinical coordinator we we actually have a few craig um and we've tried to do this as much as we can in our practice. And we sometimes fall short in these efforts, but we always try to have several people that could pick up in any spot. You know, somebody gets ill, everybody kind of needs to be able to pick up the, the position or the slack. So we have a few people right now that are really kind of uh, heading that charge within our Bowling Green office. Okay, great. And Dave, is that the same with in your practices? Uh, yeah, it is. But unfortunately, we can never, uh, never keep a good study coordinator. Um, you know, one has gone off to physician's assistant school. Another one just started optometry school a couple weeks ago. Uh, and so they keep moving on. So we, uh, we, you know, we're always training new, new new study personnel, which, you know, is, is an absolute exciting thing for them to kind of look for. They see other people doing it and then they're, they're you know, raising their hand. I want to be next on the, on the list. Yeah. It's funny you should say that it reminds me of the um, best work study I ever had at MCO was a first year optometry student who came <laughs> from a practice where she was the clinical coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. we learned as much from her as we were able to teach her. It was fantastic. That's awesome. And and the reason I asked the question is that uh, often I run into people in our in our profession who would like to get involved in doing some kind of clinical studies. And I generally bring this up right from the beginning saying you have to figure out a way to get a clinical coordinator because 
seeing the patients is only part of it, the documentation of it and following the protocol and making sure, you know, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. That's really what makes you a site that industry will want to come back to time and again. You know, Craig, I, I will share with you that. So um, when we started doing clinical research in our office and it really opened my eyes to the intricacy and the level of involvement that a site has to have when something like this is occurring. It's it's a pretty remarkable experience if if somebody hasn't done it. And it's it's you have to be very, very invested in that process from every single person in the office. But but what it also has done for me is I've become almost more respective of data when I see it published, you know, before, before having the knowledge of what it actually takes to go through a clinical trial, you're very, um, you know, you're one that tends to pick out uh, errors very, very quickly. After you've gone through the process and gone through it a few times, you realize what they had to actually do to, 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 to put it all together. And you're much more respectful, I would say, of the way that you approach clinical studies, clinical research, and asking some of those questions because it is such a massive, massive process within the practice. For sure. You know, the number one thing, yeah, removing bias. It's the hardest call exactly and not wavering. And uh, and I think that's the really fun part of practice. You know, relating again to previous patients of mine, I remember them telling in kind of a bragging way how they came back from a cocktail party and were telling some people at the party that they were involved in a clinical study in the practice. And they asked them what the study was and they probably said, I can't tell you, it's confidential. <laughs> and, and that the patients themselves liked that, that they were ahead of the curve a little bit uh, uh, compared to their friends. That's great. So um, can we focus for just a second on how each of you have been able to uh, position yourself and build up the specialty part of the practice. And I'll let you go down to either path because I know that it's multifaceted for both of you, both on the specialty contact lens front and also related to um, developing a dry eye center. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, you, you bring up a kind of a funny, a funny aspect here. Um, about four years ago, Mila and I were sitting around with uh, some industry people, and uh, Mila leaned over to me and he said, Dave, I don't think that they know that you do dry eye at all. And during the conversation we were having with these industry people, they said, well, don't you just do contact lenses? And I'm like, no, I, I do a lot of dry eye. And um, fast forward four more years, Mila was having a conversation with somebody that's well-known in the contact lens world. And he said, that person doesn't think you do contact lenses at all. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how, you know, as, as, as these different waves that we go in where, you know, I do is I do more specialty contact lenses than I've ever done. And I do more dry eye than I've ever done, mm -hmm. but maybe I'm seen in the, in, in the world that, you know, is out there, my writing or the lecturing or what I'm seeing at this meeting more in one of those aspects than another. And, uh, and it's almost equal in my practice, which has been awesome. And Craig, as you know, that by dealing with residents, you learn a ton. And we started a residency several years ago. We've, uh, it's, it's, it's been so much fun to partner with somebody who's so eager to learn. And that's been one of the best things that we've done in our, in our practice because it forces me as, uh, as a quote-unquote educator of this person to spend considerable time reading new research. You know, I, I, if I didn't have a resident, I don't think I would probably read more than maybe 30 or 50 studies a year. 
But with my resident, you know, we're reading uh, 100 or 200 articles and constantly looking for what's new, constantly evaluating a protocol, constantly evaluating what we're doing. And our specialty contact lens practice really started um, with a, a big break. You know, I was going around and telling everybody I did specialty contact lenses in my community. But uh, then I had an opportunity to do a lecture locally to a group of 800 practitioners. And right from then, they started seeing me as a referral source. But I also set it out there, hey, if you have a contact lens question I can help you with, and you don't need to send me the patient, just email me or call me. And that's been really, really cool to be able to collaborate even locally with the people that we have in our community on how to better take care of your specialty, uh, especially patient needs, whether it be keratoconus, scleral, orthokay. And um, one of their facets that's been really, really fun is several years ago, we started a local meeting where we invited um, you know, a lot of our referring practitioners to a meeting that we put on. Um, it's called the Specialty Eye Expo. And uh, you know, about 200 docs show up. Um, it's, it's just optometrists right now, although we have been looking at ways to expand that to other fitters and opticians and technicians. Um, but we, we get to educate them and, and work to partner with them in our community. And you know, t telling somebody you're willing to help them they're going to take you up on it sometime, but they're going to also not want to see some of those patients and refer them to you, uh, which has been really, really great and helpful to grow our practice. And then, like I said, having that residency has really helped propel us forward in our knowledge and our learning and our interest in sharing. Yep. Um, Mele, what about you? And then I'd like to mention also, Dave, I'm going to come back to you on the residency question in just a sure. moment. Yep. So, uh, Craig, um, my journey, like literally right after graduation, I, I was all about full scope optometry. And when I think back on 2002, I mean, this was even before the era of a prescription ophthalmic medication for dry eye. So we've learned so much over the last 17 years. And I knew that the ocular surface was something that we as optometry could manage. Like even some of the posterior segment stuff that was being managed at that point, we, we were part of observing it, but we weren't necessarily part of treating it. So I was passionate about the areas where we could really have influence. That was in the area of anterior segment disease. So over the last 17 years, our practice has evolved as the technology has come out. And it's kind of really brought things to fruition where they are today, where we have in-office treatments for dry eye, um, diagnostics that we just didn't have five years ago, let alone 17 years ago. And we've slowly continued to incorporate all this, those technologies and those practices, along with contemporary treatment guidelines for these patients as well, too. The, the specialty lens side of things kind of interesting. It was a lunch that I was at, and Dave was at that lunch, and he was talking with uh, Lynette Johns about scleral lenses, and they were having a conversation about it. And I finally said, guys, what's a scleral lens? This was back in 2005 or six. And they took, they took one out and they showed it to me. And Dave had fit scleral lenses in his residency. Lynette at the time was fitting scleral lenses like crazy. And I never fit one and I'd never even really heard about one. And they kind of took me through over the next hour. They kind of took me through everything and then um, started working with a lab on it and you know, even looking at working with some of the early designs, it was just something that I became tremendously passionate about. I called Dave because he was the guy at the time who had really a lot of the experience in the realm of scleral lenses. And over the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, we've continued to evolve and develop this into a, into a larger segment in our practices. So, you know, Craig, it's really finding those things. Um, I'd recommend this for anybody, finding those things in the practice that you're passionate about and really understand it and learn it as best as you possibly can. And that just garners better relationships with your patients, finding those patients that need the help, and also opportunities even with the companies that are at the forefront of developing these technologies as well too. For sure. I think one of the interesting comments both of you allude to is, is that if you're in the specialty contact lens business, you are functionally also in the dry eye business. 
And if you're in the dry eye business, you most likely are also functionally need to be in the specialty contact lens business because of the crossover of the two as one of the uh, therapies uh, for the other. And uh, I think that they're very uh, tightly now following the same path as far as um, that portion of the practice. Uh, Dave, I would like to ask you about something that you brought up before, and it's in particular related to uh, the residency program that you've established. In my mind, it took a tremendous amount of guts to try to get that thing off the ground. <laughs> and, and as you know, that we had this discussion before and, and that, um, you know, academic institutions wanted to protect that as their own area. And you had faced many challenges, but you never really buckled because you you went on the fellowship path first, which allows you to get in the game. And now is this your second or third year of the actual residency program? Yeah, so we are on our second accredited resident, yep. Yep. and as you stated, we did uh, several fellows before that. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background because I've actually had several people in the specialty contact lens world reach out to me and say, hey, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. What are you doing? Um, so having done a contact lens residency at an institution, my education was second to none. I, I, was, I was super excited about it. And I thought, you know, there's no way I could ever provide what the institution provided. And so I was a little hesitant to, to get started. And I had an intern who went and did a contact lens residency at an institution, I won't say which one, um, and came back and just shared. And she said, you know, if I had stayed with you for four rotations for the entire year, I would have encountered more contact lens patients than I did during my residency. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, maybe the bad institution, but what about at the other ones? And so I was kind of comparing myself to, you know, to, to what I knew, which was maybe the most profound residency that it was out there. And, uh, and so I got to thinking, well, are there things that I can offer that even the best contact lens residency can't offer. And uh, I said, well, you know, reasons that you go to one school or another school or another school isn't just because it's the best, but because they offer something that's unique of what you want. So I offer a dry eye avenue. And as you stated, you know, if you do contact lenses, you should be doing dry eye. I had all these keratoconus patients and scleral lenses and corneal lens patients, and, and they were getting dry eye. And I said, well, you know, I didn't work so hard to get you in a specialty lens only for you to drop out. Mm -hmm. So I had to become a dry eye specialist so I could save my keratoconus patients and other specialty patients. So I learned that and I did that shortly before I invested over $100,000 in dry eye technology. And once I did that, I looked at the other institutions that were out there and a lot of them weren't doing dry eye at all in the residency. And so I said, well, we'll make our fellowship a contact lens because I can at least maybe be good as one of the contact lens residencies in the volume, but we're going to also make it really deep in dry eye. And so our residents do really close to 50-50, but they also do primary care as any most private practices do, and they learn the business side of contact lenses and the insurance side of contact lenses, and they start to deal with industry. And some some residency programs, you don't talk to an industry person at all. And so I, I just felt like we could become well-rounded for that individual who was looking for that in their residency. We're not the right thing for everybody. I don't think that our residency would be the most most special residency for somebody wanting to go into teaching. In fact, one of our interns was applying with us and I said, well, maybe you'd be better off at an institution that, you know, at one of the, one of the schools, since you would be then in that culture and know what that's like. And she did. And now she's in a school teaching. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's been a great path. Um, it's, you know, certainly not been easy, not been met without um, some hurdles from certain people. As you stated, some some of the schools have not been very happy, um, but others have been really accommodating. 
Well, when you sent out a flyer that was as good or better than some of the other programs that automatically <laughs> irritated people. Uh, and so anyways, again, I, I admire for what you've accomplished. It's good for the industry as a whole to have another resident that's out there. Uh, and, uh, and I'm sure that it's beneficial to the practice also. Oh, it's a blast. So, for sure. Yeah. And one, what you said that you have to read more, you don't have a journal club like you might have at a, at a university. You have to form your own journal club now <laughs> to just wade through it all. So, um, Amelia, I want you to address, if you will, a little bit, and we'll get Dave to weigh in, the area that I am most fascinated in. And uh, that is, how did you guys come up with Optometric Insights? How did that evolve? And what exactly is going on there today? So, Craig, this is one of the things that I think Dave and I are most passionate about. Um, and this literally stemmed, it was close to a decade ago now. And we were both at, uh, at a pretty major conference, and we were both uh, kind of talking one, one morning over breakfast. And uh, I said, Dave, what, what have you done recently outside of the office? And he said, you know, I did this cool thing at Berkeley. They have a private practice club there, and they wanted me to come in and, and share with them um, about private practice. And he said he also did it um, at another school in California as well, too, SCCO. And I said, Dave, you're not going to believe this. I literally just did that at Indiana and at Ferris State, and and I and I love it. And uh, we we both kind of got passionate about it. One of the challenges that we realized was that as soon as we left those schools, um, we 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 were going to leave those students, and we'd probably never see them again. So what our thought from the beginning was was to create some type of continuum, something where when we left those schools um, or those live interactions, we'd still be able to somehow stay connected with the students. And that was really the, 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 the fruit that bore optometric insights. That's really the concept of the idea. Um, we, we then went to companies that we felt were appropriate companies to partner with on such a venture. And, um, and then through the gracious support of companies and industries that believed in our philosophy, which was essentially um, accelerating success. That's, that's what we promoted. And we wanted to do everything we possibly could to get those students that we interacted with to the practice that they wanted as quick as possible um, without any shortcuts, but to learn from the mistakes that Dave and I may have made along the way. And over the last decade, we've We've kind of been doing this in the schools, Craig, is um, we've, we've developed other facets or venues within Optometric Insights. We have, a, um, we have a video series called Clinical Insights, where they're two to four minute videos where we share pearls um, in kind of interactive ways um, so that somebody could watch the video and within two to four minutes, they kind of have a clinical tip or a pearl on various conditions, disease states, certain contact lens tips, a lot of things along the way. And most recently, under the Optometric Insights umbrella, we, we created something called SWAS, the student workshop of the ocular surface, where we really kind of have partnered with the schools, and we do a three-hour workshop on contemporary diagnostic and treatment modalities in the realm of ocular surface. Um, we have a website. We have all the social media that that helps us reach out to the students as well, too, and give them good guidance. And also good, what we feel are resources for, for students and things that they're interested in at certain times through their, their education. But it's been, it's been awesome, Craig, because, again, it's given us the ability to share directly with the students uh, the things that we wish we knew um, when we were in optometry school in order to accelerate their success. So, Dave, to build on that, I've noticed that it's morphed into a bigger team now than just you and Mele to be able to make all this happen. When did that start to occur? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, right away when we were, you know, going out to the schools, there were a lot of students that were really engaging with us and saying, hey, I want to. I love what you're doing and I, I really appreciate your message and our tribe 
just started to grow and grow and grow where we have the, the, the largest, um, social media following of any company in eye care that I know of. There's individuals who maybe have higher, but, um, we, we have a really large following. And so naturally as people started to graduate, they said, we started to do some of the things that you've recommended has been really beneficial. And we, like to partner with you. And so several years ago, we've had uh, several years for several years, we've had um, a couple of different doctors that have worked on our team. Um, and, uh, and, and they go around and they share similar concepts about accelerating your success into practice. And um, our, our, our real message initially was just to students and just in the optometry schools but now Optometric Insights has expanded from being just a student-focused group to the young practitioners. And uh, really, our, our target audience is the negative four from graduation all the way to plus 10. And that's kind of our group that we, we work with. And so there's several people within the industry that have come to us and said, hey, we agree with a lot of these messages that you're you're promoting and you're sharing and we'd like to partner with you. And so we're always looking for people that want to write uh, with us on our, 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 our website. They want to share things on social media. They want to go out and present um, under the Optometric Insights umbrella. We, we're, we're constantly looking for other people that can help expand and share this knowledge. You know, Craig, it's, it's really come down to, uh, it, it can be kind of challenging to start a practice cold uh, and to even buy a practice in today's day and age with so many of the regulations that are out there and all these rules. Mila is a prime example. There's absolutely no reason, according to what we were told in optometry school, that he should be in practice in a small town of Bowling Green, Ohio. It's mm -hmm. way too oversaturated and uh, there's, there's no way that he would be successful. But yet he is. Um, and that's because he's employed a lot of these concepts that we kind of talk about of, of how to become successful and how to hit the accelerator on that so you can get there faster. Uh, one of the things that really kind of sticks out to us is people who say, yeah, when I graduate, I want to do private practice. And we say, well, when? And they say, well, you know, I think I'm going to probably think about buying my practice in about 10 years. We're like, why 10? Why not five? Why five? Why not three? And then what are the obstacles that they say? And then how do we tear those obstacles down so that you can get to where you want faster? And the first part of, of accelerating your success is to define it. And many people don't define what they want until they maybe walk across the aisle and get their OD degree. Um, and and so we try to go into the schools and say, hey, let's think about your future. How do you start putting the pieces together today so that you can get where you want to be tomorrow faster? Mm -hmm. You know, it sticks out to me when I was at uh, MCO and I would always ask the uh, third and fourth year students what their next move was how rarely it was that anybody had a plan unless it was related to the family mm -hmm. uh, that even six months in advance of graduation and it seems kind of crazy that you're going to make a decision that theoretically is going to impact the rest of your life and six months in advance of making it you still don't know yet yeah yeah. So, well, that 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 coys in with our first rule of optometric insights is know where you're going to practice. Yeah. And we have various different rules that we outline, but our first rule is always know where because then you can start looking. We've talked to countless number of students who say, "I don't know, wherever there's a good job." But then, you know, maybe you, you start uh, having children or you don't like the weather, um, you know, and then you end up three or five or 10 years into the job deciding to move. Yeah. Um, and no, that's okay. That happens in life. But if you can define, I know I want to live here, then you really can start to, to accelerate the success process. Yeah, for sure. You know, as we start to near the end of today's podcast, uh, I, I like to ask the guests something about the future, the future of optometry. And I think in particular, can I get your guys' opinion, Mele, starting with you, if you were to look five years down the road, 
What do you think the impact of this private equity rage that is going on at the moment, uh, how is that going to uh, affect optometry and the different roles in optometry? I I think it's definitely going to. And there are some of these um, equity groups that, Craig, are really developing a lot of steam. And, And with that said, you know, from a private practitioner's perspective, we always get concerned about entities that that grow and get too large because they can really leverage that power a lot with insurance companies and things like that. And now what's interesting with this whole private equity um, cycle kind of coming in is there's just so many massive acquisitions of practices. And even as well, too, there's there's unlikely buyers that have come into the marketplace, insurance companies that have purchased um, large practice entities. So so it's uncertain, Craig, but um, I will share with you that, you know, you, you've, I've learned that um, there are certain things that I can influence and there are certain things that are outside of my sphere of influence. And one of the things that I've, and maybe time has kind of displayed this more and more so for me, but I take those things that are, that I perceive that are in my sphere of influence and I, 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 I try and attempt to influence those things. And really, those are how's my practice going to be relevant in the next one, three, five, ten years with a lot of these changes occurring outside of it. And this is part of the reason, Craig, why I'm so passionate about this area. I see three massive opportunities in eye care. One is the Presbyope. I still think they are this massively ignored group in contact lenses. I think that they provide an awesome opportunity for practitioners. The second is... Um, myopia management and myopia progression and understanding that and understanding the influence that we can have. These are what I still consider blue ocean strategies, Craig. These are, from from a total professional perspective, these are still largely untouched. And the third, I think, is these individuals that really need our care for you know, the, the keratocones, the EBMD patients, the, the, the severe dry eye patients, all these patients that benefit from specialty lenses. These are just three massive entities that we can influence. So things are happening around us. Um, my goal is to stay as relevant as possible in uh, an era of change, and, and that's really how I'm planning on doing it. Okay, that's interesting. Dave, do you have anything to add to that? Uh, you know, just briefly, I, I echo a lot of what Mila said. And, you know, there's doctors who are being offered, um, you know, considerable amounts of money for their practice. And in today's day and age, we don't know what we're going to be offered for our practices five and 10 and 15 years ago. Owning a practice and running a practice and still seeing patients is becoming extremely difficult. It's the reason why there's very few private uh, primary care doctors anymore. And optometry is slipping into this manner. Eye care is in general slipping into this manner where it's becoming difficult for a practice owner to be able to still see patients and run their practices. And as that's happening, people are are taking this lure of, oh, I'll just get to see patients and I'll do, to do it the way that I want to. And I think that's a, that's a, a really uh, appeal that a lot of people have in selling to private equity. But I have to say that a lot of people are disappointed that they're not getting to practice the way that they want to, their ability to choose products or select certain things. And so there's limitations that certain private equities are are putting on us. And so I think there is gonna there's this big surge that's happening. And I think that'll that'll level out a little bit as certain private equities uh, really do uh, do come through with what they're telling the practitioner. And those are the ones that, you know, certain groups of practices may, certain groups and doctors may decide, hey, we will join that one. We're not going to grow grow with this one or decide to go this way or that way. And, uh, you know, I think relevancy is exactly, uh, I'll echo that as well in our practice. 
we stand upon several pillars and that's binocular vision and pediatrics. Those are my wife's two strengths. And, um, you know, we're not as dictated by insurance with some of the things that we do with binocular vision and myopia management. Some of our dry eye procedures are not as dictated. And, uh, so we're growing in those ways, uh, because we're still able to really help the patient without sacrificing, um, you know, on the quality of care that we're giving. And so we're trying to grow in that way so that we can stay relevant and really, really help those people. And there's certain things that are coming out that are really exciting with low vision and macular degeneration and glaucoma. So I think we're going to see, in, in a, just to continue on here, I think we're going to see that specialties with an optometry grow as as uh, we continue on because people are going to have to grab a hold of something to take them into the future. So I think subspecialty with an optometry is going to continue to grow and help us differentiate. I, I would agree on, on all levels. Kind of the fascinating thing about that whole private equity is that the more successful your practice is, the more interested private equity is interested in you. Right. Uh, and because it, they don't want to um, purchase turnaround jobs, they want to go ahead and be involved with the most successful. So it'll be very fascinating to watch. So fellas, you each get a last comment here. What would you like to say to our listeners as we wrap things up today? Mele? Um, so I, I think um, we, we encounter, as any profession does, a lot of challenges. I think that um, interior segment, in particular, especially lenses, just provides an awesome opportunity for the practitioner willing to really embrace it and not necessarily dip their toe in the water, but um, really, really embrace this, this whole era that optometry is in. And, and if, if anterior segment and specialty lenses is kind of your passion, go go for it and if it's something else in optometry take it and really develop develop that specialty within your practice excellent dave yeah um you know i think the subspecialty is the direction to to really go i think that you can become uh an expert very quickly and really be able to differentiate yourself and help a lot of patients if it's not specialty contact lenses dry eye have it be some area and um you know if it, i'm gonna give a little plug here craig but if there's ways that mila or i can help you um you know we've got a lot of resources uh, everything that optometric insights does is no charge to a practitioner in any way. Um, so if there's avenues that we can help direct you towards education, there's great education out there. We would love to be able to help if we can. Um, you know, we'd be happy to share our information. Um, you can find it on our website as well on Optometric Insights. So just that, if there's any way we can help, we'd be happy to. Uh, that's a really gracious offer and uh, much appreciated and, and probably one that you'll be taken up on. Now, fellas, I have to tell you that uh, you've lived up to exactly what I had hoped for today. You are two fascinating individuals with a lot to say and very interesting uh, stories to tell. And all I can really say to both of you is keep up the great work. The industry is much better off because of you. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Uh, you're welcome, fellas. And to our listeners, thank you for joining this episode of Specialty Lenses Unplugged. I want to thank Conamac for supporting this endeavor and the Pentavision team for their production expertise. Please join us for future episodes of Specialty Lenses Unplugged. And visit our website at lensesunplugged.com to listen to any of our episodes and learn more about our guests. I appreciate you listening. Goodbye.